It is good to see you here this morning or have folks watching online. I want to start with a question as we wrap up this series, when it's time to say goodbye. What circumstances would necessitate you leaving your job or necessitate you leaving an organization or your neighborhood or this church or whatever church you want or a part of? For some, it doesn't take much. Let's just be honest. For some, any misunderstanding would be reason to leave. For some, any slight that they feel that they've had or any, um, uh, any sign of trouble, man, it's time to get out of there. And you say, well, that's the world we live in, man. People move on every day. And, and while that's true, I believe that could be a little debilitating to us because we think that's the normal way to do things. Could I just remind us of something we studied earlier this summer when we looked at the fruit of the Spirit. And one of those fruits is faithfulness. Faithfulness. That we are called to be people who are faithful to where God has placed us. And, and I think that's one of the things I really admire about previous generations um, that, that I just look up to and it inspires me. When you know uh, people that have been married 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you go, wow, man, that's, that's incredible. My parents were here at the early service. I don't know what that means for me, but uh, they were here checking on me, I think, and uh, they've been married 55 years. I'm like, man, that's, that's incredible. And uh, faithfulness and like people staying with their job the entire career. My dad worked for one company his whole adult life. I'm just like, that's unheard of today. That kind of faithfulness maybe from both ways. And, but it's inspiring to think that people can stay faithful. I'm sure those married couples had t not only days but seasons in their life. They thought it would be easier just to check out and move on, but they didn't. And my dad, I'm sure he had days in the job and offers to go other places, but he didn't. And then I think of, um, uh, you know, you hear stories of people who, who taught, a lady maybe who taught Sunday school uh, for third grade girls for 25, 30 years. Every Sunday she's there pouring into these little kids. And you think, man, there, there had to be Sundays that she wished she didn't, wasn't doing that or she'd had enough of those little girls or, you know, there's other things she could be doing with her time. And yet she was faithful. So this message, we're going to talk about how to leave, when it's time to leave something, uh, a place, and how to do that. And it's going to be similar to last week, and so if you missed it, you might want to check it out. But some of those same relational issues, when it's time to say goodbye to a relationship, are going to apply to how to leave a place. I won't go back over those, but you can check that out. We're going to talk about how to leave well, how to leave well. And we're going to look at three different situations or scenarios in Scripture that people find themselves. The first two are going to be as the Jewish people are in captivity, where the Babylonians had come to Judea and had conquered them and then pulled some of them out and taken them back to Babylonia. And they were uh, they're basically slaves and captives in a foreign land. And that's where we pick up the first scenario. And it says this. Among those who were chosen uh, were some from, Ju from Judah, Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, you may or may not know those names, but you may know these, these last three guys by different names. That would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Rakshak and Benny, if you know your veggie tales. And uh, if you see them in heaven one day and you call him Shadrach, he's going to look at you funny because this is actually their real names, their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. You might want to learn those because it's going to be important one day, all right? Uh, when you see them. Then it says, the chief official gave them new names. 
So these four guys, along with the other people, they were given new names. They were living in a very pagan, messed up culture. And the first thing they wanted to do to them was to change their identity by giving them new names and completely uh, change who that they were. And change them from a Jewish name, obviously, to a Babylonian one. And you might think, well, that's not a big deal, no big deal. But the, the names that they chose for these young men uh, were, were, were pagan names. They were actually a tribute to the foreign pagan gods of Babylonia. And so like Daniel, they was no god at all. Shazer, Belshazzar means prince of Baal, which is a, a foreign pagan god that really was no god at all. But he said, you're going to be named after that god. Well, Daniel, the name actually means um, justice or my god is my judge. And so your name is no longer be associated with your god. Your name is going to be associated with our god. Now, how do you think Daniel and the boys took to that? Do you think they put up a stink and had a fuss and, and, and tried to rebel over changing their names? I mean, that, is that a deal breaker for them? Turns out they complied. It wasn't a big deal. And you think, well, why did they not make a stink about that? They're named literally after a false god, and they didn't, they didn't do anything about that. What that tells me is God knows that you and I can thrive in a messed up culture. You and I can thrive in a pagan godless culture if we know who we are. See, Daniel and his buddies knew who they were. It's almost as if their attitude was, listen, you can name me and call me whatever you want to name me and call me, but I know who I am and who I belong to. My name is Daniel. God is my judge, and I am right with him, the one true God. So name me whatever you want to name me. I know who I am. Man, that was, the, that was the entire point of a series we did earlier this, this year called uh, Who Does God Say That I Am? And if you missed that, you need, to, you need to watch that or listen to that because it is grounding us in who God says we are, not whatever label culture tries to put on you or category they try to fit you in or what other people say is true about you. What God says is true about you is literally the most important thing about who you are. It is your identity. Well, Daniel and his buddies knew that. And so they changed their name. They said, fine, that's fine. Next thing they did to him, verse 4, says this. He was to teach their handler, was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So the next thing they did is the Babylonians, that they would begin to think and act like them, that they were going to have to learn a new language. That's like pure torture to me. Learn a new language and learn the language of the Babylonians, and then you're also going to have to read their authors and their literature and be exposed to all the thoughts and the ideas of Babylon. So what did Dan and his buddies do? You think they raised a stink? You know what they did? They complied. They said, but they said, that's fine. You, you want us to read that? Uh, God says, I can thrive in an ungodly, messed up culture. I can still do that even though you have me reading and learning other things. And I believe their attitude had to simply be this. You can put whatever you want in front of me, and I can sift through what is true and not true. I know what I believe, so when I read something and it doesn't jive what I believe, I can discard it and move on and take what is true and leave everything else behind. Reminds me of eating fried chicken. You guys like fried chicken? Don't answer that. Let me ask it this way. Do you like good fried chicken? I mean where it's juicy and moist in the middle and it's so crisp it like hurts your teeth on the outside. Are you with me? 
some good fried chicken. And now I'm making you hungry already. You, you skip breakfast and you want some fried chicken right now. That's okay. But you eat the fried chicken and you don't eat the whole thing though, right? You eat around the bones because you don't want to eat the bones. The same thing is true. By the way, some of you are weirdos and you take the skin off because you're trying to be all healthy. You have missed the point of fried chicken. There, I've, I've given you my gospel today. Uh, the gospel of fried chicken. Eat the skin. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's the most response I've gotten in a while. Guys, that's what we've got to do. Church, in this culture that we live in, you can read an article and it is mixed with truth and lies. You can, you can anything that you absorb, there's almost always in our culture today some element of truth and it's wrapped in a whole bunch of lies, falsehoods, half-truths. And you and I have to be discerning and know how to be able to eat the meat and that good skin and throw away the bone. If you and I know God's word, we can do that. It works if you and I know what is true. If you and I know what God says about things and have convictions about things and are grounded in he, what he says is true, that strategy works. So let me just ask you, how well do you know what God says? How well do you know what God says is true? So when other people throw ideas at you and information at you and try to change your thinking on things, you can say, listen, if it jives with what God says, fine. If it doesn't, no. So how well do you know it? And that's why we talk about, I believe, the most foundational habit that you can ever have as a follower of Jesus Christ is a regular time in God's way. You speak and everything works your life. You through his spirit and he changes how you think and how you act and how you speak and everything about your life as you spend daily time, hopefully, with him. But the second habit I would suggest is getting in a small group of believers that is centered around the Word of God. And as you study the Word of God together, you learn His Word from one another and you learn truth so that when the lies and the, and the propaganda that bombards us every single day comes, you can say, this I know is to be good and this is what I know is to be evil. And I know this is what is right and I know this is what is not right. It's wrong. Well, Daniel and the guys had that down, and we could learn well to do the same thing. Because we, if we are students of this, you know what? We, we will pick out the lies instantly if we know what is true. So God says that's good. We should do that. Third thing they try to do to Daniel and the guys, it says this, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official, for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel would not eat their food. You say, why? Was it nasty? I don't know. <laughs> it might have been. But it wasn't because it was nasty or not. See, God's word doesn't command what language you and I should speak. English is not the language of God, by the way, um, although we'd like to think that. It's, he doesn't care what language we speak. Uh, he said you can read other literature and eat the meat and throw away the bone. You can, God, someone can change your name even, and that's okay. But God's word had been very clear on dietary restrictions, and the Jewish people who were following God said these are things you can eat, and these are things you should not eat. You must not eat. And so Daniel didn't have a problem with all those other things, but because God had I can't eat these. This is something you can't do. Daniel says, listen, I can't do that. I can't eat these things. It would go against what God has told me to do. 
and he wouldn't budge. I believe God honored that conviction and he honored that stand that he took because you can thrive in a messed up culture, but you're not thriving if that culture is causing you to compromise your principles. I want you to think about that. You are, you are not thriving in an environment, any environment that's causing you to compromise what you know to be true and you know to be right and you know to be good according to what God says is good and true and right. And listen, I'm just going to tell you, it's a little bit of ego to say we know better than God what is good and right and true. He knows best. So Daniel says, I can't do it. It compromises my convictions. Do you have convictions about things? Do you have things that you say, listen, if my employer asks me to do this, I've got to draw a line in the sand and say, I can't cross that line. Or if they ask me to do something or be somewhere when I'm supposed to be somewhere else or it conflicts with the principle, I've said this is, comes first before that, that I can't do that. Do you have convictions about what you will do and what you won't do, what you will say and what you won't say, where you will go and where you won't go? Man, if you read this book and you spend time with the Lord, you're going to develop those convictions to say, listen, this is what's good and this is what isn't. Now, I want you to notice how he, how he goes to that authority figure. I think it's so important that we recognize as Daniel has this handler and he's, he's responsible for Daniel and Daniel's like, I don't want to eat this food. So I want to see again how he went to them. He went and asked for permission to eat something different. And he says, please, he asks kindly, he says, listen, I've got this conviction, and he could have been a jerk about it, but he's humble about it, and he respects his authority. And the first way you and I leave somewhere or, or stand up to a false culture is to, to do it while still respecting their authority. I mean, your jerk, your boss might be a jerk, and this other person you might have a problem with. And even if they're not a godly authority figure in your life, you know what Romans 13 teaches us? He says, every authority has been placed over you by God himself. And if God placed the authority there in your life, good or bad, we can still treat them with respect. Not because they're worthy of respect, because God is worthy of that respect. And so if you're leaving, you leave with respect to your authorities and honor them the best you can. Second situation I think we can learn how to leave from is these same guys just a few chapters later. We don't see Daniel, but the other three, and we see them in a sticky situation. It's over religious persecution. And King Nebuchadnezzar gets this crazy idea. Somebody puts the bug in his ear. Hey, you should build a statue of yourself, this beautiful statue. And you should have the whole nation bow down and worship you and your image. Talk about an ego trip. Can you imagine that guy having to work for that guy? No ego there at all, right? Hey, everybody, I'm going to make a statue and you worship me. You're like, yeah, I work for that guy. <laughs> uh, boys wouldn't do it, even though it was punishable by death. And the king said, if you don't do this, you're getting, you're getting killed. They approach him, and this is what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you 
have set up. Listen, I want to tell you something. It's time to leave an environment, a place, when failing to do so compromises your faith. If staying there will compromise your faith, it's probably time to get on with life and move away. If your faith is getting beat up in an environment that you're in, if your neighborhood or your, your environment at work or wherever you find yourself and they're tearing down the God that you worship and calling into question things that you had took for granted and were convicted about, if they begin to ch challenge the validity of Scripture and make fun of you and mock you for this thing not being really God's Word, if they start making fun of the church and the family of God, which is the bride of Christ, and talk, call you a fool for being a part of something like that, that it might be time to move on. Let me tell you something else. If you're in an environment that is causing you to take on habits that are ungodly for you and you know that they're not right and it starts changing how you speak and how you act and how you think and things that you used to not have the problems with and sin issues in your life and they're creeping back in because of the people you're around and the environment you're in, it might be time to leave that place. I mean, if you've got a bunch of neighbors and they're out doing their crazy things on the weekend and you get sucked into doing the same crazy things that you are, guess what? It's a good time to sell a house. It might be time to move. Get top dollar for it. If you work in a work environment, it is dragging you down and it's causing you to go backwards in your faith. It might be time to look for a new job. Do you not think the God of the universe can find you something else? So that's radical. Well, here's why I say that. If you can stay in that environment and, and be the influencer where you influence the pagan culture around you, the ungodly culture around you, the ungodly people around you, then stay and do so. But if you find yourself in a group of friends or an organization or a neighborhood or a job or a church that is causing you to lose hope and lose faith and, and damaging your soul, you got to get out of there. Because they're influencing you, not, that, not you them. I want you to notice how they did that. When they went to the authority, they, they leave without needing the last word. I mean... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go to him and say, hey, here's our problem. We've, we've got an issue with you, what you've ordered. I, we, our convictions don't allow us to do. Our faith doesn't allow us to go where you want us to go. We can't worship this, this idol. And then they let it be. They don't have to have the last word. In fact, the king's last word is pretty final because he says, we're throwing you in the furnace. I don't think any of us have a situation that dire, do we? You're just like, well, come to my job for a day. <laughs> See who I got to work with. <laughs> come to my neighborhood and hang out with my neighbors for a minute. You might, you might change your mind. Listen, if you're in a, in a toxic environment, you've probably fantasized about telling that boss off or that person off, and you can't wait to get a zinger in and let them know just how horrible a person they are or a leader they are or a person they are. Can I challenge you to not do any of that? You can just flush all that because you don't need to. There's, there's no reason to do that. See, if you can calmly and fairly sit down with the person that you're leaving or the group you're leaving, the organization you're leaving, and you can calmly have a conversation with them and say, listen, here's the issues I have, and because you're challenging me to do things that I think are unethical, or you're asking me to do things that I know are wrong or they compromise convic my convictions, and you tell them the reason that you're going, you can do it peaceably, then you should do so. 
You need to have that conversation. But if you said, man, if I, I'm just thinking about that conversation and my blood starts boiling and I'm getting mad and upset, then you have some work to do to pray and ask God to deal with your heart and, and, be, and be able to bring uh, some, some closure and forgiveness in that, in that emotional, those relationships before you go and have the talk. But I believe the talk is really important. If you're going to say goodbye well, if you're going to leave well, it's having that conversation before you go. I can tell you over the years, we're like every other church. People come and are part of our family, and, and sometimes they move on, and, and it's, it's hard. It's hard on both sides. And, and sometimes when we notice someone's missing, we'll call and say, hey, you know, checking on you. I hope everything's well. And, and they've moved on. And I just wonder why they didn't have the conversation. I'm, I'm not banging anybody because uh, it happens. But listen, it would be better to have a conversation about it. I mean, we're still family. We're still going to be in heaven forever. We still love you. We're still friends. We don't have to feel bad about it. But, but have the conversation. And I'm going to later tell you why that's so important. That's how we leave well. Third scenario. Now, this one doesn't have to do with Israel. It has to do with Paul on a missionary journey, a second missionary journey. God had sent him out to share the good news of Jesus, and he would do that, and people would respond by faith, and he'd gather them into churches, and he'd build them up as their pastor for a little while, and then he's like, deuces, I'm out of here. I got to go, and he does the same thing in the next town, and the next town, and the next town. And so he's on one of those journeys, and he has a plan, and we'll pick up the story here in Acts 16. It says this. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the providence of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them, so they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God, God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, Paul and his companions, they had a plan, man. They, they said, we're going to go here and go here, and this whole journey, we've got a plan. But just like our last missionary journey to the Republic of Georgia, which we're going again next June, uh, we had a little saying, if you're going on a mission trip, that you need to know. And they said, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken. <laughs> I think that was a good one. I mean, things are going to come up, and we're gonna, the plan's going to change, and you've got to be willing to kind of go with the flow. Where here's Paul and his buddies, and they're saying, blessed are the flexible. And their plan was to go into Asia and to preach the gospel to this place called Asia. And God stops them through a vision and says, no, I want you to go this way. It doesn't matter that way. And Paul says, well, if you say it, God, it doesn't matter what my plan was. Your plan is what matters. And he says, absolutely, where you say I'm going to need to go is where I will go. Guys, we need the exact same attitude that they had. Exact same attitude. And I believe this with all my heart that God has told us to stay on the path that we're on, the last instructions that we receive from him, wherever he plants you in life, whether it's your neighborhood or your job or your church or, or an organization, whatever it is that God plants you there and you don't move there until God says so, until God moves you. That's the only good reason to move on, right? When God has a new assignment for you, then you take up the new assignment. Can I tell you something? It is no accident you work where you work. 
that God has planted you in that place, that you might be an influence for Christ in that place. It's no accident that God planted you in the school, in the classes that you are in, with the classmates that you have, because he's got a purpose for you there in that place. The neighborhood you live in, the church you are a part of, the organizations that you're bought into, that God would plant you in those places until God says it's time to move. And when he says it's time to move, it's because there's a new assignment awaiting for you somewhere else. So you leave when he releases you. And the last part is leave when God gives you a new assignment. Leave when he gives you a new assignment. I got to tell you, uh, my wife and I were, uh, when we were newly married, we were a part of a singles group. We got to, we were married, but we were the leaders of this group. And the church didn't have a pastor for several years, and we were responsible for about 40 or 50 singles in their 20s that would come, and we were their leaders, and, and uh, we loved it. And our, we didn't have kids yet, so we're like pouring our whole lives into this group, and it was really our ministry and, and our heart, and we loved it. We had a great time with it. And then we finally got a new pastor. We're like, awesome. We can, you know, kind of hit our stride and really see some growth and have some awesome things happen. And about two months into that, uh, they told us that, hey, all the singles ministries, I mean, from 20 on up to to older, they said, we're going to shut those down. There is no more singles ministry. They hadn't talked to us. They hadn't talked to any of the leaders. They didn't offer us any place to serve in the church. They said, if you have a singles ministry, whatever age group you're in, then we want you to go to the married class with the same age the next Sunday. We're like, whoa. And so we show up, and the room's like way too small. Like we couldn't all fit in the room. And the singles are standing around the outside of the room. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize what happened next. The singles group, all those singles, slowly started finding other churches that said, we care about you. We want you here. I was going into ministry, and we were really at a dilemma. Like, our hearts were broken. These were people we invested our lives in, and they're leaving because the church said, listen, we're we're, we're just not that, it's not that important to us. But can I tell you something? We didn't feel released from that church. God kept us at that church for many more months. We said we're going to stay faithful to where God has us until God moves us. And we could not go until God called us to a staff position at a different church. You stay where God plants you until God moves you. Because i got to give a warning on this. It's so easy to let our emotions get into this. And Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceptive. It's wicked beyond compare and and repair. And and you and I can easily get fooled to think, oh, this is God's will for my life when it's really our will for our lives. And we wrap it in spiritual language and we say this is what God wants when really it's just what we want. And oftentimes when we make a snap decision about a major decision of leaving somewhere, if it happens in a, in a really rapid way, it's usually an emotional reaction to a conflict or a problem that you've had there and not discerning the will of God for your life. It's very dangerous. We've got to listen to the Lord. We need to learn to wait for the Lord. It's rarely a snap decision, so that means you and I need patience to pray and listen to to the voice of God, if, he, if he's moving us, he's going to speak that to us over and over again until we hear it. He, he's calling us to, to not listen to the outside noise or even our own hearts, but to what he is saying in the situation. I'm going to recommend something to you. Jeff Brookshire in our church wrote a beautiful book called Stepping Stones to Discerning God's Will. 
And it's a, it talks about the process of you and I learning how to hear the voice of God in our lives through many different avenues, his word and his spirit and his people and all kinds of things, and learning how to discern what God is saying to us. Can I tell you something that, that has always encouraged me? That God is never trying to hide his will for those who seek him and will obey him regardless of what the answer is. He's never trying to hide his will if you're willing to seek him and obey him. Whether it's yes, no, or wait, he's going to reveal his will to you in time. And so we listen to the voice of God. I had a, um, um, a leader in our church approach me a while back, and he said, listen, uh, I moved away. I bought a new house, and I've moved away, and I'm like 50 minutes from Crossroads. And what should I do? I don't know if I'm supposed to leave Crossroads or not as my church. I said, man, that is a great question that I can't answer. And I said, honestly, you can't answer it either. So here's what do. You've got an awesome opportunity and chance to learn how to listen to the voice of God and to seek his face and to pray and ask him to show you, just between the two of you, what he wants you to do. Does he have a new assignment for you somewhere? Or are you to stick and give you the answer to? I can't answer that, but he can. And nobody else can give you the answer to that, only the Lord. And so he's on this beautiful journey of discerning God's will for his life. So we move when God gives us a new mission. I want you to know what isn't on the list. There's a couple things that come to mind to me when I think about reasons people leave organizations. And the first thing is unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. When you get sideways with somebody else and you decide it's easier to leave than to deal with it. Can I tell you something? It is never God's will for you to leave somewhere, a place, with unresolved conflict. It's never his will. He says, listen, I've outlined how I want you to deal with this in Matthew 18. I've given you steps to follow where you can do everything in your power to try to resolve the conflict and come to peace with somebody and reconcile. And then if God moves you because he's got a new assignment for you, the conflict has been dealt with and you don't take it with you to the next place. You come in fresh and ready to serve him in a new and powerful way. See, I know too many people who they have a jerk boss and they've been hurt by that boss and they have wounds and they leave without trying to deal with the conflict and they go to a new job and guess what they do? They have anxiety and issues with the new boss because they've carried it over from the old boss. From the old church to the new church. The old pastor to the new pastor. Y'all be kind. I'm not that person. <laughs> And so God says, listen, deal with it there. In fact, uh, Matthew 18 is a beautiful passage. I encourage you to read it. But Jeff Brookshire also wrote a beautiful, just a short little summary of how to go through that process. And it's called a guideline for conflict resolution. And we've got handouts at the back of the room. When you leave today, if, if you want to learn how to do that well, then pick up one of those. And it will walk you through the process of getting your heart ready to go to talk to someone and how to talk to them well. And if that doesn't work, how to bring someone else in to mediate and to work through the process together. I believe it's supposed to happen that way every single time in the church. And I believe that process can even be effective outside the church as you try to work through conflict with other people. Unresolved conflict. I'm going to challenge you 
I'm going to challenge you. If you've had a hurt at a previous church, there's a leader there or a deacon there or a pastor there or something they did or a decision they made, and you're still carrying the hurt from that church, I'm going to challenge you to go back to that person and deal with it. That means if you miss a Sunday here to go back and deal with it there, I'm going to, I'm going to give my heads up, but I'm going to challenge you to go and deal with it so that when you come back here, you don't bring it with you. You can leave it there. Unresolved conflict. The second reason that's not on the list is unmet expectations. We all have them. Everything we belong to, none of it's the way, exactly the way we wish it could be. And, but, the, but the wrong approach is every time we disagree with something or every time we don't think that was a good decision, that we just bail on the process. There's going to be unmet expectations. You've got to learn how to, to process, deal with it, talk about it. Uh, what I love about our church is I believe that we, we really personify what it means to be a family. Like we genuinely care about each other. We de- genuinely look out for one another. We genuinely pray for each other and, and try to meet each other's needs. And, and I believe this is a, a faith family can people. What I love about has developed here, but it's not an exclusive family like we don't want new people. What I love about our church is we're this open, growing family that accepts new people and longs for them to come and be a part of the family too. Do you have that same vibe about Crossroads? Oh, gosh, it's just me. That's what we're swinging for. That's what we want it to be. And what I, we love having new people come, and sometimes they bring in fresh ideas and new ways and new perspectives, and we love that. But, but I also know there's a danger in it when somebody new comes in and they go, man, why don't we do it this way? Or as they say, my favorite line is, my last church, and then hold on, what's coming next? My last church did a bunch of hymns. Can I tell you something? We didn't do hymns when you came and you liked it and you joined, and we're probably not going to do a bunch of hymns now, although today what do we do? A hymn. It is well. And, and people said, hey, why don't we have Awanas, and why don't we start Sunday school, and why do we need any dead, and why is the music too loud? Those are all true. And I'm not picking on anybody. I've heard all those many, many times. We are not perfect, and we can certainly learn how to do things better. I'm not a perfect pastor. We don't have perfect leaders. Our motto at Crossroads is no perfect people allowed. But I will say this. Most of what we do, we have a reason for why we do it. And if you don't understand why a decision was made or why we went a certain route or why we do certain things certain ways, we would love, an elder, a staff person, myself, would love a conversation because we might have a really good reason for why we do what we do. And if we do, then maybe we can get on the same page. And if we don't, then you've just helped us figure out something better. And the only way it doesn't get better is if we just leave without the conversation, Right? So we just had an example of that. We, um, we just passed our budget a few weeks ago. And, um, and we said there were some things that we were going to get out of balance and a little heavy in certain areas. And we had that reasons for that. And we, we knew it was atypical for us as a church. But, but we tried to explain that. And I thought it was a beautiful thing to have several people, not just one or two, several people come and say, hey, we're a little concerned that we not stay that way, that we need to balance back in the years to come. And I said, I absolutely agree with you. You know what? 
And I'm so glad that they felt comfortable come and telling me what they thought about that and that together we can make sure that we are the church and we, and we use his resources the way he intended. So here's what I think. There's at least three convictions we can walk away with today. There's at least three. God has convinced me that you'll grab a hold of one or multiple of these. The first one might be this. Man, that man, God has convinced me today that I will stay where he has planted me. I will stay where he has called me. I'll stay on mission where he's got me until he tells me to move. That that's not just for today. But that's going to be a riding conviction for how you live your life moving forward. Or it might be a conviction that you left somewhere and it wasn't pretty and you need to go back and you need to make amends or you need to at least own up to your part of the problem and at least tell them why you left. And you try everything in your power because Romans 12, 18 says this, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so you're going to do everything in your power to make sure you try to make amends for where you left and make it right. Or maybe the conviction is just like when I leave, when God moves me, wherever it is, whatever situation, I'm just going to do it the right way. I'm going to be polite and kind and gracious and respect authority, and I'm only going to do it when God says go. Maybe that's the conviction today. I mean, we're talking about being faithful, right? And we got to recognize there's only one that's truly faithful. As much as we try to be faithful and what that, that, that fruit of the Spirit manifested in our lives, the reality is that none of us are 100% faithful, that we all fall short of that standard. But there is one who is faithful when you and I are not faithful. That the God of heaven says, listen, I will love you when you're unlovable. I'll be faithful when you're unfaithful. I'll extend grace to you when you don't deserve it. I'll treat you better than you deserve. That if you come and be a part of the family through Christ Jesus, that I will treat you like I treat my son, Jesus Christ. And I'll be faithful to you when you fall on your faith face unfaithful, I'll still be faithful. That is a promise to everyone who is in Christ Jesus that he will never leave us or forsake us, that our God is faithful to those who are still unfaithful but are in Christ. That's called grace, that God treats us better than we deserve. And listen, we came to Jesus that way. We can't start a relationship with God any other way but by grace. You and I didn't get ourselves clean enough. We didn't get our act together enough. We didn't come with all these merits before God. We came broken before him and said, God, I'm a mess. I need your forgiveness and your love and your acceptance. Would you show me grace and treat me better than I deserve because of what Jesus did on a cross? He says, God says, yes, by faith I'll grant you that. I'll give you grace. And I got good news for you. If you're a follower of Christ Jesus, every single day you wake up and you know what you need and I need, it's grace because we fall short of his standards. And he says, yes, you've fallen short, but I still love you. I'm still faithful to you. I'm still with you. Nothing's changed. Just you're my child because he's faithful when we're not faithful. So let me just ask you, have you experienced that kind of saving grace? in your life where you ask the God of the universe to forgive you and accept you right where you are. Not because you've earned it, but because Jesus Christ died for it. If not, you can make that decision today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come in this moment to celebrate your faithfulness. 
that when we are unfaithful, even though we want to be, even though we strive to be, even though we, we don't make excuses for it, you are faithful even when we're not. And that's grace. God, I thank you for the grace that is given to us through your son, Jesus. That we don't have to work our way to you. We don't have to get certain things out of our life or, or certain things in our life for you to accept us. What we need is to place our entire faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That because he died in our place, he took the penalty of our sin. And because he did that, you can offer us forgiveness and acceptance and love by grace. Just because of who you are. Because that's how much you love us. Because that's the gift you're willing to offer those who come to you by faith. And if you're at the place this morning where you recognize, man, I've been trying to do it another way other than faith, other than grace. I thought I had to do something other than receive what God's done for me. Today, would you invite God into your life through his son, Jesus Christ, and ask for that same grace? You can pray something like this. It's your heart that matters, but you can say, God, I need that grace because I've fallen short. That forgiveness and acceptance and love that you've offered through your son, Jesus, I need that. And I receive that. I ask for it in Jesus' name. And I believe he died for me, took away the penalty of my sin. Tell him that. I believe that, God. I believe he rose from the dead and now gives me life. And from this day, I want to follow you as faithfully as I can. And though I fall short, I still want to stand back up and follow you some more. Lord, I pray for the person in this room who's in a toxic environment. And they're really battling whether they should stay or should they go. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak to them. That you'll give them conviction. God, that you'll make it clear. Lord, that your voice would be louder than all the other voices that they hear. And Lord, I pray if we find ourselves in that place and we can be influencers for you, that we wouldn't run from a difficult situation, but if we've been placed there for your purposes, for your glory, to stand through a test because you've got us there and you've got us by the palm of your hand and we're not wavering and we can be a light to you in a dark place, God, give us the faith to do that. God, we thank you for your presence that enables that to be possible. In Jesus' name.